0: Hello everyone and welcome to episode 17 of Wonderfilled Week. I am your host, Caitlin Corey. This year I have delved into the world of meditation by investing in a one-year subscription to the app Headspace. I have began each day since January 1st with a few minutes of guided morning meditation and it really has started to become a habit and have a positive impact on my mindset and how I approach the day. I have even graduated from three to five minute sessions and now spend the first 15 to 20 minutes of my morning meditating. I thought it would be motivating to have someone on the podcast who could speak to this topic and give us all tips on how to incorporate mindfulness throughout our entire day and how to introduce the practice of meditation to our children at a young age. Today's guest will travel far for a story. She's trekked in the Himalaya with Sir Edmund Hillary and visited remote Buddhist monasteries in Nepal, Tibet, Myanmar, and Japan. She's interviewed the Dalai Lama and other Nobel laureates, sat for days in meditation retreats, and even been a puppeteer in France. She is the author of both fiction and nonfiction for children, including her recent publications, Mindful Kids, 50 Mindfulness Activities for Kindness, Focus, and Calm, What do you celebrate holidays and festivals around the world and mindfulness and meditation handling life with a calm and focused mind when she's not writing or traveling the world my guest teaches mindfulness and meditation to children and young adults please welcome to the podcast Whitney Stewart welcome Whitney thank you so much for being on the show today
1: thank you for having me
0: of course um, okay, so I want to. I first discovered your work over the holiday season when I was cultivating my All Good Things Holiday Edition episode, and I included your book What Do You Celebrate? Holidays and Festivals Around the World as a gift idea for children in our lives. And from there, I looked into your other work, and I was so intrigued and excited by the amount of work dedicated to mindfulness and meditation for children, because you know that was something I don't remember seeing as an overly anxious child myself in the local library or even 10 years ago when I was a third grade teacher. And it's not just one book. I mean, you have created such an impressive body of work on this subject that children can have continued content as they grow and develop. And the books sort of cater to each stage from mindful tots to mindful kids and beyond to the older demographic. So I wanna dive into where that inspiration came from later. But first I have to ask you about all the exciting adventures you've had in your life between all the travel, interviewing the Dalai Lama, Trekking in the Himalayan snowstorm. I mean, you've truly done some remarkable things. So how have these experiences and adventures helped shape or inspire your writing?
1: That's an interesting question. And I don't always know how to answer that, but I, I, so I guess I could say that um, I truly have always been an adventurer. Uh, When I was 17, I moved to France um, I traveled all around Europe by myself. The next year I moved to France uh, to work in a puppet theater group. And that started my love of travel and and more importantly, my love of meeting people in other places and learning how they lived. And uh, I, think, I think part of it was that I was trying to understand myself and how I wanted to meet the world. And it was uh, refreshing and, um, educational to see how other people did this uh, and then that uh, that urge to see more of the world led me to the Himalaya and because I'd always been a rock climber I'd always wanted to go to Mount Everest uh, my aunt said let's go to Mount Everest base camp when you're 14 and that didn't happen but it happened later on when my mother and I went in 1986 to the himalayas to Tibet and Nepal and India um, and But it was really meeting, meeting the Dalai Lama and living with Tibetans in a Tibetan village in exile in India, in Dharamsala, India, where I began to bring my love of writing for children together with my... Um, interest in seeing the rest of the world and learning how other people um, live and think and ask big questions of the world and I put it all together um, through those adventures so that really my traveling adventures they're all entwined in my asking big questions of the universe you know how do we live what is what is mine what is life what is death you know all these big questions about existence.
0: Oh, absolutely. And what I love too is that you, you sort of, I imagine, journaled these things down and, and wrote down your experiences. And I love when you can see the world in a different way than you're used to or in a different way than you grew up. And you can sort of put it in a time capsule by writing down exactly how you felt in that moment. And yes. I think that's something, I mean, you're, obviously you're just a born writer, um, adventurer, critical thinker. And I love that. Um, And that's something that I think that a lot of people should take more advantage of is journaling how you feel in the moment, right? Because that's when it's freshest. And that's when you're really feeling the feelings. And it's so nice. And I'm sure you look back on your travels and what you wrote during that time. And it just brings you right back to that moment.
1: Yes. And it also brings me out of myself. I mean, of course, this is a journeying for myself and my asking these big questions, but I care deeply about human rights, about celebrating world cultures and um, and just understanding how other people do this. So it, it, it yes i was exploring myself and the way i asked these questions but i was always also very very interested in other people and how they live their lives and particularly whether they live them um freely you know and and so this again it ties in all too into um again as i said celebrating world cultures and looking at human rights and and trying to tell the stories and bring the world to children and tell children here's how other people live and i don't do that through fiction because i haven't lived those lives so i can't tell the story from the you know perspective of someone who lives in another culture but i tell it through non-fiction so that i can ask other people these questions and let them express themselves
0: Oh and that's very important, right? I love that idea. Like you're you're not trying to take on their culture and sort of like pretend it's yours and s- explain it. That's amazing that you're you're keeping in mind that it's somebody else's culture and you want to tell these stories, but let's let them, let's offer the platform for them to tell the stories. Um, exactly. I remember I was a teacher about 10 years ago. I taught 3rd grade and it was a very small school in a very small town and uh, one of the things that I always wanted to make sure that I did was introduce culture where I could. And so when I first saw your book, um, you know, what do you celebrate in the festivals from yeah. around the world, I really connected with that. And that's why I put it in my previous episode because I thought that was so great because when I was a teacher, I tried to do it in the way that I could with the resources I had and the experience I had. And it might've been as simple as a social studies project like bread from around the world. And we would go from station to station, taste the different breads, learn a little bit about the culture, color and what their flag looks like and sort of like made it interactive because I couldn't, of course, take these kids to around the world. But I could in the classroom. And I feel like that's amazing. And so when I saw that book, that's what first struck my interest. Um, And you have another book, right? about food from around the world, correct?
1: Yeah, I do, I do, yes. And each one, and both of those books are are based on interviews with people from those countries or from my travels to those countries,
0: or Uh both. That's amazing. So you have like that firsthand experience. You're getting it like right from the source. I love that. Yeah. Um, yeah. What and
1: is? I, I just have to, inter- I have to interject one yes, thing. Yes, please. Too, and that is when I was a teenager, when I was in 10th grade, I knew I wanted to write children's books and I started to write children's books. And one of my first books was a boy who was eating bread all around the world. Oh, my and gosh. I'm kind of ready. <laughs> and that story, that story was never published. But um, I loved bread. I can't eat it anymore because I have to be gluten free. Oh, my gosh me bread.
0: too same no, no. <laughs>
1: but I love bread and so and I loved tasting bread in all of these different countries so you and I, I have that in common
0: oh my gosh it's so funny and you know I just found your book like by chance online but some of the similarities like um, well that story is so amazing that you know we would never would have known that unless we chatted but you're originally yes. from the east coast you're from Boston as well I'm from Boston and yes. as am I yes. and I just love that yeah. our, our paths crossed Um, Yeah, I love it. Um, Okay, so what inspired you to deep dive into this particular subject matter? Because I know you have um, lots of other books, but then now you have like a real uh, catalog of these mindfulness and meditation books for children. Um, Was it before or after meeting the Dalai Lama? Did that affect, you know, your uh, inspiration at all?
1: Sure. So really the inspiration or the need um, for me to explore meditation and mindfulness started because I grew up in um, an abusive household and my mother and stepfather were both alcoholics and my brothers were um, chemically dependent as well. And, um, And people throughout our childhood, my parents could not get the help they needed. They did later, but not while we were growing up. So this was a very challenging household. We didn't know how to express our feelings. Um, we had stress from living in a chemically dependent household and went I was 15, I had a knee injury, and I was a very competitive athlete, uh, I was on three competitive sports, and my doctor told me that you could no longer take competitive sports, and this devastated me, because I identified as this healthy, strong athlete, and suddenly I didn't know who I was anymore. and. But i was able to take this this was a long time ago it was in the 70s i was able to take a yoga class and back then it seems funny now but back then yoga was very new and different and a little weird and people didn't know what it was but when i took it at 15 years old and i started to meditate i felt a sense of calm that i had never felt before growing up and of course it doesn't last Oh, for, you know, always. It doesn't mean you, you practice once, meditation once, and then you're blissful for the rest of your life. It doesn't work that way. But I at least knew, oh, I have this tool. I can sit and I can meditate and I can do mindful movements or yoga, and I can change how I'm feeling, how my thoughts are, maybe racing through my head. I can, I can help slow them down or let go of them. I noticed that and, and it didn't change my world completely, but it, it was the beginning. And then when I went to India in my 20s and lived with Tibetans and started learning, um, started learning meditation more seriously and more regularly, then all of a sudden I, I really began to understand it in a different way. And so I felt as if I wanted to write books on mindfulness for kids for kids who didn't necessarily have adults who could teach them mindfulness too because at first publishers just wanted me to write a book for adults teaching kids to meditate and i said no and i persisted because i wanted kids to be able to access this themselves at a library if they found the library book or in a classroom if they found it in a classroom um that they might say oh wow i can teach myself how to calm down. I can teach myself how to be more resilient. I can teach myself, um, how how to handle difficult emotions, things like that.
0: That's really touching. And I love too that, um, you know, you are the living example of sort of like, um, be the person that you needed as a child. And I feel like when people keep that in their heart, in the forefront of their mind, when they're working toward what they want their career to be, I mean, that's sort of the greatest gift you can give to the world is to be the type of person that you would have needed to have the representation, you know, or have the resources um, of, you know, what you like I was saying before, right. I wish I had these books when I was a child. And now yes. I feel so blessed that if I do bring a child into this world, there are resources. And like you said, and it was very wise, Um you know, I can see why the publishers want you to market it toward the parents. You know, parents love when they're having children to buy all the books and do all the research, and but not every parent is like that. And right. there may be children in the world who are in households maybe similar to yours or maybe with different uh, obstacles uh-huh. to overcome. And you're yes. right, they may find it in a library on their own. They may find it at school. They may have a teacher who brings that into their classroom. As much as we'd like to believe that all parents would go that extra step, you know, it's it's. I really like where your head was at, and I think you were right on by making it for the kids. I mean, it is for the kids, and I have some of your books here and some of your activity books and and cards, and they're so they're so stimulating for children. They're so aesthetically pleasing for children. They're like in a language that is just so perfect for the age range of each. You know, book and each activity is set for a certain age range, and it's just so developmentally appropriate that I just feel like kids have so many resources that you've created like you really that's a great legacy to leave is you left well and I,
1: i want i want to interject in there and that is um i had a team of people at the publishers each publisher that i worked with and i worked with several different ones but i also want to give great credit to my illustrators i don't illustrate myself and my publishers have found beautiful illustrators who've made my words come alive and then expand on that really these i you know, these, these books wouldn't be here without the design from the designers and the publishers and the illustrators and the editors, too, because the editors are really, you know, there were times working where my, my board books, which I don't know if they have less, they probably have less than 100 words, I, I never counted, but we spent so long working on each word of those books. Oh, I believe and it. And so so I just want to give credit to the team of people with whom I worked.
0: Yes. And I feel, I don't know if you manifested this team to you, you know, like it just seems like a perfect union because the illustrations are so great that you're right. They do bring your words to life. I love the diversity in the illustrations. There's just a lot to unpack and it's just really like a perfect team. And it really, uh, the the end product is really something spectacular. So it's really something to be proud of. And The legacy is just so amazing because, you know, I started Wonder Filled Week um, because I am an anxious person, because I do struggle with wellness or uh, mental health uh, obstacles. And so I similarly wanted to do something that could help other people. Um, I try to keep it. Um, light where I can but we also get into heavier things and I just like when people come on and tell honest stories that other people can relate to because you know that's what we should all aim to do sort of like leave the world a little bit better than we found it
1: yes and I think it's also helpful when we don't keep them so, this, these things so close inside and so close to our heart because I believe that that isolation um, can be hurtful to you, and that actually the honesty and letting go and accepting—we all have stuff. We all have challenges. We all have difficulties, and you know, we all have moments where we wish we'd handled something better. Um, and if we can accept that and allow it to be and express it and um, sort of compare notes and help each other, so much the better. So oh, absolutely. The, it helps. We sh- it, we don't need the shame all around it,
0: you know. Oh, have, There's f- enough shame in the world. Absolutely. I fully agree. And one of the things, I have a sort of, like, complicated view of social media, but one mm-hmm. thing that I really do love is if you do follow sort of, like um, – Hash, like certain hashtags about mental health or ending the stigma, you really can find a community within social media that could really help you not feel so isolated, not so alone that you there are a community of people like you and just that visibility and relatability I think um, is one of the things of social media that I'll always commend. Yes, that's great. I'm glad you reiterated that yes. Um, yeah. What does mindfulness and meditation, I know what it means to you in your life, what benefits, if someone was skeptical or has never meditated or isn't familiar with mindfulness, what would you explain to them are the benefits that you believe each practice provides?
1: So that's a good question. And um, there's still some very smart people doing research on that and figuring that out. And In fact, I follow the research and I see more and more um, uh, clinical spikes doing research on this to say what what does it really do and then trying to define which practices helps but just let's just be general here and that is that um, mindfulness can help you become more resilient and handle your challenges more easily it can you can handle your um, your difficult emotions learn how to notice them for one thing because many times people don't understand what their emotions are or what they're working with so number one you learn to see and feel and understand how your emotions are affecting you you learn ways of handling those emotions instead of just reacting and screaming or yelling at anger or you know crawling into a ball and crying which those things happen and i'm not putting shame on those things and when you work with mindfulness, you will learn, oh, that last time when I was really angry, I really didn't like the way I handled my anger. Maybe I can do it in a different way that's not hurtful for, for me and not hurtful to others. So that is another um, a benefit of mindfulness. We know that in mindfulness also can in, increase attention. So um, that's helpful for, for children um, in school, or that's really helpful for anyone, but if we're talking about children here, um, let's see what else. Increased awareness and concentration, having more resilience overall, which really means recovering more quickly from a stressful event, um, increasing your empathy and generosity, and improving your memory.
0: Oh my gosh, it seems the benefits are endless, and I'm really thinking about it now as um, from my personal experience. I sort of um, never really took a deep dive, this is sort of embarrassing, never really took a deep dive inward until about the last year or two. And something that I put on my uh, goals for 2019 and now again for 2020 is less reactionary behavior because I do suffer from anxiety. I always have for as long as I can remember. And sometimes it's so debilitating that you're reactionary, like your reactions are right under the surface. I'm so quick to um, irritability and discomfort because of what I'm feeling inside. It would come out so easily on the outside. I could find myself being like in a ball, as you explain, like just mm-hmm. not really a- being able to cope. And yeah. since I sort of like put it in writing and put it on my vision board or goal list or whatever you call it, mm-hmm. um, yep. I've really been more mindful about it. And I, I tried to look more inward instead of just like living my life, you know, just thinking as a whole, like my whole family and my husband and just life with everyone, I sort yeah. of took like a more look personally inward. And that mindfulness has really, not to be dramatic, changed my life drastically yeah. because sure. I yeah, because I'm sort of like, let me think like why am I reacting this way? Let's really like unpack this. And that's something I didn't really give myself before. And I feel like it's a gift that I really have given myself is to yep. stop and, and reflect. And reflection wasn't something that I was a part of or part of my life before. Um, mm-hmm. but something I don't talk about a lot on the podcast is my husband has cystic fibrosis. And so we all we yeah. always sort of have like this underlying stress and fear, anxiety. Yeah. It's always mm-hmm. like right there. And so I said mm-hmm. to myself, if I'm gonna live my whole life, this is always gonna be a fact, you know, there's no cure. There's no, you know, we have to sort of like I have to sort of learn to live with my anxiety and with these realities. So let me learn to cope better. Let me learn to look inward, to unpack these feelings and sort of sort it out. So mindfulness yes. is extremely important and something that everyone should sort of you know, take a minute and, and think about if they are living in a mindful way.
1: Sure. Can we talk about a little bit what mindfulness isn't too? Because I think that's that's equally as important um, because some people don't really have an understanding. What is it exactly? And when I'm teaching children, I try to teach them a very simple way. I think John Kabat-Zinn has a wonderful explanation of mindfulness and people could look that up in John Kabat-Zinn's work. Um, He's often called the father of mindfulness. Um, But when I teach to kids, I, I, i try to teach in a very very simple way and i say to them it's really learning what's going on inside of you and outside of you right now in this moment without thinking that that it's good or bad without having a judgment about it but just noticing it and i I say that mindfulness is also very important for understanding your wisdom mind and your inner wisdom mind is what connects you to the universe that makes you part of this world. And if you can be quiet and listen carefully, You will understand your wisdom mind and that's where you want to go at times of difficulty is to your wisdom mind. But I want to say that mindfulness, it's not a quick fix the the practice itself, it's not a quick fix. It's mind training. So it's just like going to the gym. You don't get strong muscles in one day. Right. You have to repeat it. You have to repeat it. So it's it's really is you're building a mindfulness muscle uh, and you are changing your brain with continued practice. And mindfulness is also not it's not all bliss. You know, when you practice, you might discover difficult thoughts and emotions that you hadn't noticed or accepted before. Like, like maybe in your case where you said you weren't really um, noticing those things before. And when you first start noticing um, difficult emotions or thoughts, particularly in your, if you're doing a breath meditation, for example, that might not feel great. And you might think, Oh, I'm doing this wrong because I have all these negative thoughts, but there's really nothing wrong with those thoughts or those emotions. I want people to understand, you know, not to have a judgment. They're there. Okay. Now what do I do with them? How do I work with them? How can I respond to them instead of react or overreact to them?
0: Absolutely. But
1: mindfulness is also one more thing, and that mindfulness is also, it's two more, actually two more things. It's not a replacement for critical thinking about difficult problems, but it can help you find solutions to difficult problems. Um, it can help you f- be calm and focus your mind to prepare for and help you think through critical thinking. And it's not a replacement for medical at medical care and mental health treatment. It may be an enhancement to that, but it's not, I don't say it's a replacement for it. I think it could be part of someone's overall wellness plan.
0: Absolutely. And that's an important distinction to make um, for Mm -hmm. sure. Um, And something else you mentioned too about meditation is it can uh, expand your attention span. And that's Mm -hmm. something that I'm finding firsthand as well, because like I said, it's only been in the last year or two that I've really adopted mindfulness into my sort of uh, routine. But mm-hmm. meditation is something I've only just this year in the past, what is it, 26 days, um, been yeah. doing every day. I, I invested in the Headspace app um, for a year yeah. subscription. And mm-hmm. I just made a promise to myself that I would do it every day. And even if it's just the three minute, you know, three minutes is the shortest yeah. you can go. And I've yeah. really noticed that, I don't know if it's like the world of social media, that everything's at our fingertips or just fast paced life. I could only do the three for a sure. while like it, sure, of course. and I would find myself and I still do and it's only so new but I still find myself uh losing you know focus and, and the, the guided meditations are really helpful in that they remind you to you know when you when you lose track of your thoughts just bring it back into your breath and and I've I've have grown a bit. I've graduated to a bit longer now, maybe a five-minute session. But it is something mm-hmm. like going to the gym. It does take practice every day, mm-hmm. and not every day is great. Like we might not have a great workout every day. Same with my meditation. Sometimes I'm like tapping my fingers, waiting to just get it done. <laughs> yes, I'm <just> <laughs> right. I'm yeah, sure. Our
1: minds, are like chill, our minds are like children. You know, if I work with groups for the four to six year olds we do a three minute breast meditation and that is really long sometimes it's only one minute and then you know with my nine to twelve year olds we've challenged ourselves and gotten up to eleven minutes oh wow but it is it's progressive and they don't always want to do it. And sometimes they just get into a giggle match and you know, then it's like all falls apart and I have to think of a new, new plan. Right. Um, And
0: that's good to pivot and be adaptable, but it's so true. And now, now that I'm doing this and like really seeing how short my attention span is, I feel so guilty for when I was a teacher and expected so much attention (laughs) and ongoing work from eight year olds. And now I'm like, okay, see, I wish I had these books. I would have taught the kids and myself a valuable lesson. (laughs) Um, well,
1: but now you are. Now you are right, you, and you, you're bringing it to the world in a different way. Absolutely, Maybe not in the classroom, but somebody will. Somebody, somebody will hear this, and then they'll bring it into the classroom.
0: Absolutely, so. and so yes, I encourage all teachers listening. I know I have a few friends who are teachers. These books are amazing. They are such a great tool and resource for your classroom, and just for parents in general to to buy for their children. Um, we went over the great benefits that it can, and I really think too. It's so hard for me to uh, focus now. I'm 33 years old. I could only imagine if I had this at 4 years old. If this had been something that is part of everyday life growing up, I can't imagine how different my life would be. I
1: feel the same way. I feel the same way. I wish I I wish I'd gotten into it sooner or knew about it when I was 4 years old. Right. Yeah,
0: sure. Okay, so I have a quote here that of yours that says, I am dedicated to teaching age-appropriate mindfulness exercises and meditation techniques to children and young adults. So my question is, how do you vary it from age to age? And what is a good so, age to start um, teaching and practicing mindfulness with children?
1: So let's see. Um, I, you know, when I first started writing for older kids, tweens and teens. And so I worked and then I worked younger. So I worked from the older kids to, to younger. And I first thought, Oh dear, how am I going to teach, you know, toddlers mindfulness and, um, so we'll start with the toddlers with toddlers. Um, it's gotta be very concrete. The practice is very concrete. So I have. Health- toddler's baby, they'll lie down on the ground, this is a a traditional one, and they'll put um, a stuffed animal on their tummy, or their hands on their tummy, and we'll do um, what I I have a book called Tummy Ride, and they'll just watch the stuffed animal, or a little pebble on their tummy, or their hands going up and down, and really the practice, that's all it is, it's just tummy ride, and um, the illustrator made these beautiful illustrations of a child, you know, in water, as if, you know, the tummy was like a wave going up and down and up and down and we could keep it that simple just is you know this this book is i think um maybe i can't remember 14 pages you know and just that amount of time that it it takes to read those simple 14 pages with just a few words on each page that would be the extent of what you do with a with a with a toddler you know we're just going to do this one practice Or we're going to do a a very simple loving kindness exercise. And we just talk about, you know, being kind to yourself, being kind to others. Those are two mindfulness practices that you can do with the littlest of children. Um, They have to be verbal um, and understand some basic things that you're saying, but a lot toddlers can really understand watching their tummy go in and out. They can understand breathing. So then we go um, from there, we oh yes, with toddlers, I also do, for example, a mindful walk. And I do this with every age, but it just gets a little bit more complex, not complex, but I, my words get a little bit more complex as before I t- teach a, a mindful walking exercise, but with kids we can do a mindful movement where you move into a different animal form and you notice how your body moves. So we're just getting a lot of uh, attention to your body, your body and your breath. Um, and, and we go from there. And then with the mindful kids cards, then, um, you can expand that to greater awareness, awareness of movement, of breath, There's different breath techniques for the mindful kids' cards, and those are for kids, say, age four and up. And really, you can use those mindful kids' cards to any age, but I would say more likely four into elementary school. And we have cards for kindness, cards for focus, cards, breathing exercises, moving exercises. Um, I do like to sit in a circle with kids of every age. If I can, of course, some groups that works better than others Some get really wiggly and don't want to sit still for very long and don't want to talk for very long. So again, for younger children, I I like to keep it very physical and very concrete. And then with uh, tweens and teens, you can get into talking about, um, different, different challenges, then specific emotions, how to work with anger, how to work with sadness, more about different kinds of breath meditations. And you can also work with, um, meditations on your, on your thoughts. So kids, they have to be, uh, usually my nine to 12 year olds was where I introduce. Uh, working with thoughts so they really understand. What are you thinking right now when you're sitting in meditation? What's happening with, with your thoughts? Sometimes I have them write down everything that they're thinking about and then take different colors We, uh, I, we assign a different color for a different emotion and then they circle those thoughts um, with their colored pencils um, so maybe red for an angry thought yellow for a happy thought whatever color we choose and then they can see very concretely, oh, look how many angry thoughts I had, or look how many happy thoughts I had, or look how many sad thoughts I have. And so they begin to understand a little bit more um, the kinds of things that are going through their mind, and then how those thoughts connect to emotions. So we do a lot of um, exploring um, how thoughts and emotions express themselves in the body with nine to 12 year olds, and, and with teenagers.
0: So would you say, oh, I'm sorry,
1: go ahead. No, no, and then a a little bit more, you can do a lot of listening, mindful listening exercises. Um, With teenagers, you can begin to talk about mindfulness in social media because there's a lot around that. It's an important topic um, to really, I also have written a social media self-assessment so kids can really begin to explore what is my relationship with my devices? What is my relationship with social media? How does that affect me emotionally? That kind of thing.
0: I love that. And I wasn't actually aware of that one. That's amazing because, I mean, if we start with our children, you know, when they're verbal and able to do this, maybe four years old and we work our way up until the nine to 12 year olds continuing Uh on with all of these books and exercises and ideas, social media is the next step. I mean, I'm, I'm a nanny. One of my children that I nanny for is 11 years old and she's right at that cusp of like Uh part, part of the day she feels like a little girl. And then other parts of the day, I really Uh see a preteen in action And I really, I'm looking now at the Mindful Me activity book and just looking through some of the activities, I feel like this is not only so age appropriate for her, it's so visually stunning, Um, your uh, illustrator, Uh Stacey Peterson, but also Uh um, it just feels just appropriate. Like she would just connect Uh to it and understand. And so each one of your works, you can just tell there's so much thought that goes into it, so much consideration of developmentally appropriate practice. But also just being real and knowing, you know, what children are into at certain ages, what they're capable of. And I love that you have the social media because parents are still trying to sort that out. Right. And, and they may not even know sure. how to approach it. Sure. And so if there's a resource that parents can look at and, you know, go over it with their child, the child looks at it on their own and sort of it opens up discussion. Right. And that's sort of how we all grow and communicate and stay connected. And so yeah. I just think that's so amazing. So I think
1: that. that the social media as a self-assessment, that's in the, the book that's for even older, and that's Mindfulness and Meditation, Handling Life with a Common-Focused Mind. And, and that's where I think that's aimed at kids in eighth grade and up. That's where I think that we, you know, really we can get into full discussions about, about using social media and also different stress. They're going to have different stressors than, than the younger kids. Oh, absolutely. I mean, of course, kids at every age have stress, but they're going to have different types of stress when they are eighth grade and up.
0: So... It's just such a, it's just such a great, you know, collection of resources. And I love how it does graduate and grow with the child and their needs. Um, So what about for a person, an adult, who has no uh, experience with mindfulness and meditation? um, Could they read the book that's for eighth grade and up? Or would that be? Sure.
1: Yeah, I think so. Because um, it's, it's somebody Some people don't want to necessarily read 300 pages on mindfulness, at least not when they're starting. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it might be a a simpler way of starting with it. It's it's all about the chapters are broken down. Things like mind training, getting started, how do I do this? And then I go into busy mind, working with thoughts, ticked off, dealing with emotions, stressed out, a body-mind connection. I mean, these are things that we all are talking about as adults too. Um, uh, then we get into social media and then I get into, let's get physical and everything about rising, eating, moving, sleeping, how to help yourself if you're not sleeping very well. And then most importantly, for me, this is the most important chapter of this book and that is happiness and how, how to make your, how to find happiness and how to create happiness for yourself. And research tells us that we actually can make ourselves happier. We can take steps to make ourselves happier, partly by getting exercise, being out in the sunshine, you know, eating well, going into nature. There's so many studies about just walking in nature and how that can contribute to happiness, um, of course, meditation, and then having gratitude and social engage- engagement, there's just, just simple steps to take that it sounds so obvious, but sometimes we just forget these simple things.
0: Oh, absolutely. And I feel like what connects you more to like your own inner child and your own way of approaching the world is to look at it through the eyes of a child and sort of like, sometimes as adults, we don't want to like admit that we're beginners at something or that we, we <laughs> may be lacking uh-huh. in something. But right. I don't know if it's like, you could start with this book that's for eighth grade and up, Mindful, and Mindfulness and Meditation, Handling Life with a Common Focused Mind. but. If people are willing to um, reevaluate and look at themselves as beginners, you know, you really do connect back to those simple things. And it does seem so simple and obvious. And of course, why wasn't I always doing that? But it sometimes seems impossible in the busy, fast-paced world and working and raising a family, stressors and, you know, commute back and forth from work. But um, if we're all willing to sort of like take a step back and look inward and really evaluate, you know and say, am I willing to be a beginner and try something new? I mean, we really can take those steps toward finding happiness, right?
1: Right, and I, I want to um, reiterate also what you said. You you said you signed up for Headspace. There are some great, uh, there are some great podcasts. There's some great apps people can use to start out with as well. I have some free, I have some free meditations online. People can go to without paying for anything. Um, but they also can just practice mindful breathing. Let's say when you're brushing your teeth or mm-hmm. when you're in the shower, we all are very, very busy and people say, I have no time to sit down to and be by myself for three minutes or five minutes or, or 25 minutes, but we can be mindful when we wash the dishes and focus our our mind on our hands. We can be mindful when we're in the shower. We can be mindful when we're brushing our teeth. Simple tasks, if we put all of our attention on that task, even if it's just for a minute or two or three, that can can that can help your be part of your mindfulness practice.
0: Absolutely, and that totally answers my question about how we, as a society of all ages, can incorporate mindfulness because. Sometimes I think the assumption is that people are sitting with incense and candles and music and, like, taking this big chunk of day to do something. But like you said, it could be as simple as just mindful breathing. You know, we all have – I live in L.A. There's a lot of traffic. I know that instead of maybe, like, blasting music, sometimes it's nice to do one of two things. Put on a podcast about mindfulness. Put on my Headspace app and get it done while you're driving, of course, without closing your eyes. Um, But certain things. And then maybe other times in the car in traffic, you might – turn everything off and roll down the window and just feel the fresh air. There are sort of like quick fixes, um, little changes we can make throughout our day, right? Or even if you
1: want to have that blasting music, you could um, really do a like a strong breath meditation with that music. I mean, people might think you're crazy in the next <laughs> car, but you could do it anyway. Totally <laughs> worth it. it. <laughs> just, like, breathe in and huff, and huff and puff and blow it out. I mean, strong rhythmic breathing can really can change your inner chemistry, your brain chemistry. It really does work if you read the research on just these, these breath meditations that really can change your brain chemistry. So you could do it when you're blasting your music in your car.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So people have to get rid of that assumption that we're all sitting on yoga mats with incense right. We could just be in I mean, traffic you can, do that,
1: you can do that so much the better But if you can't do that it's fine
0: right And it yeah. might even encourage people to try to carve out five minutes a day to do that right. because right. once it's like a, it's like a muscle right the more you practice and get used to it now I can't imagine starting my day without headspace. And and this is something so new, only not less than a month. But now it's like once you get into a habit, you get into a routine, and Mm -hmm. you really feel like you're missing out if you don't do it. Um, That's right. Yeah, so okay, What is next for you in your travels and your writing?
1: Well, so that's a good question. And um, I've done nine books on mindfulness, so I don't know what's next in the mindfulness area, although that's always, always a part of my life but I do, um, I've been writing a screenplay um, oh, wow. and uh, based, on, based on research I did, World War II research I did in Germany and Poland, so I will probably um, finish that screenplay and then I'm off to a children's book writing retreat uh, this week and so I'm hoping for a new inspiration, either that or going back to going back to some other books that I have put aside for a while, and t- I'll take a fresh look at them.
0: Oh, so. isn't that nice? Sometimes when you can walk away from a project and come back with fresh eyes, sometimes that's yes. all you need, right?
1: Yes, yes. I want to explore something more with food and and world cultures again, but food in itself that might be something I'm going to work on. I, I don't know yet. I, I might be able to tell you next week, but I don't know <laughs> right now. It's <laughs> so. going to
0: unfold in due time when you're <laughs> oh. when you're ready. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. I love that. Okay, well, everyone can find Whitney online. Uh, your website is www.whitneystewart.com. You can find her on Twitter and Instagram at Whitney Stewart2, Facebook slash Whitney Stewart author. And also, um, I listened to your podcast with your publisher on Learner Books. I'm going to link that in the bio of this episode because, like Thank you me. said, that does include some mindfulness exercises. If people mm-hmm. wanted to get started, and then mm-hmm. your books can be found on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and Indiebound. Now I didn't know about Indiebound, and I'm really uh, I love this Indiebound.org. Yes, Indiebound. mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's a community of independent local bookstores, and I know it's sometimes so much easier to order things on Amazon. People are into yep. that like lifestyle, but if you if you just can go online the same way Indiebound.org. You put in your zip yep. code, and they they sent, they will send yep. you to. Yep. Uh, A bookstore in your area, and that sort of helps you support small business. I love those; everyone loves those little bookstores. But if we don't shop at them, then they're going to be gone one day.
1: Right, and they can be, and books can be mailed to you through your independent bookstore. Oh, perfect. So sometimes, if you really don't want to get out of the house or you don't have time to go pick it up, you can do it that way too.
0: Absolutely, I love that, and I love that that was um, on your website to do that to have that option because in the Amazon world, it's sometimes nice to support small business, right? Yes, I agree. Um, I agree. Well, Whitney, I want to thank you so much for being a guest on Wonderfield Week. You certainly gave us a lot to consider, and you have created so many resources for people who have children of their own or who work with children like me. And I know there's a huge demographic of people who could benefit from your work. So I want to genuinely and sincerely thank you for creating it and sharing it with the world. Um, I look forward to sharing the copies I have with the children of my life, and I'm very excited to see what comes next for you.
1: Well, thank you very much, and I appreciate the time to speaking to you. And I'm also grateful that you have this, that um, you have this podcast, and uh, that you are sharing with the world.
0: I want to thank Whitney so much for coming on today's episode. I'm going to link all of her books about mindfulness and meditation in the description of this episode, but she also wanted me to let everyone know about a great podcast on the science of happiness called The Happiness Lab. So if you're looking to continue your exploration of mindfulness, meditation, and seeking happiness in your life, that might be something worth checking out. Okay, everyone, thank you so much for listening. You can follow me at Week for some daily inspiration. We'll have a new episode out next week, and I hope everybody enjoys their day.